0: So something Halloween and today, a transformation occurred. All over shops and homes and streets and malls and department stores, everything has changed. We have entered into a new season, the pre-Christmas season. Stores and shops are donned with greenery and Christmas decorations. Streetlights bear banners signifying the season. Christmas music is all over our radios and department store loudspeakers. Malls have Santas and winter wonderlands. There's garland as far as the eye can see. And on TV, the true gospel of this season is proclaimed. We are treated to all the things that we can buy this year, all the gifts we can give. But these items aren't presented merely as options. Instead we are told, not so subtly I'll add, that these items are the things that can change your life, that can change your family, that can change your spouse's life, that will bring you or your spouse or your family peace and happiness this Christmas. The thing that will make your Christmas great, perfect, magical. And with that change in decor and in marketing, we ourselves feel a change within us. If it hasn't happened to you yet, I promise it will happen soon. The pull of the holiday to-do list. You've got your list of people for whom you need to buy presents, and how many presents you need for each person. You've got Christmas cards to write, address, and send out. You've got to find the perfect family picture, where all of the kids are smiling to put on the front of that Christmas card. You've gotta decorate the house, you've gotta find uh, where you put that one Christmas decoration that was the last one that didn't make it in the box, and so it got stuck somewhere, and I can't quite remember where it is, but you gotta find that because it just isn't complete if you don't have them all out. You've gotta clean the house, you have to get ready for company. And I know what I'm doing to many of you right now, because you're thinking, we just had Thanksgiving. Don't add more stress to my life. I'm here for one week of respite before that holiday pull kicks in. But there's a part of this season that's about all the things we have to do, all the hustle and bustle, all the stress, all the anxiety, all the buying and spending and consuming. And I've gotta ask, do you think this is how Jesus really wants us to get ready for his birthday party? Today is the first Sunday of Advent, if you didn't hear it the other seven times we mentioned it. Advent is a season in the Christian year where we get ready to celebrate the birth of Christ. But Advent wasn't a Christian invention. We stole it. Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus. And in the ancient world, and in the generation before, and many generations after the birth of Christ, Adventus referred primarily to the welcoming of a Roman emperor into a city or territory, or likely, or most likely, back to Rome after a successful military campaign. And the Adventists would be celebrated with a grand military procession, with pomp and circumstance, and gifts would be extended towards the emperor, and there might be other exhibitions of praise and glory and lavishness. The early church co-opted this cultural celebration and centered it instead on Jesus. Instead of a, an exhibition of lavishness and excess and plenty all oriented toward what the culture of Rome could do for you, the Adventist of Jesus became a season of fasting, a season of penitence, a season of acknowledging our need and our desire and our crying out for a Savior and acknowledging that that Savior would not be Rome, Its emperor. The early church recognized that the largest of Rome would not save them, and through fasting declared that the real King, Jesus born in Nazareth, was coming into the world, and through him and him alone, the world would be saved. We are offered a similar choice this advent. Put another way, which advent do you want to celebrate this year? One that's based on consumption and more whose salvation comes from the ever-elusive perfect present? Or one that seeks salvation through a baby born in a manger? Do you want an advent that puts those things first? I imagine you are here to put Jesus first. I mean, it's a holiday weekend. It's rainy and gross outside. It Could have been easy to stay at home and lie on the couch. I imagine you're here because this season, you want to put Christ first. So how do we do that? We're going to walk through part of the Christmas story and see how the characters in that first Christmas story put Jesus first. We're in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 45. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. The angel left her. After that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. There's a number of characters in this story to look at, but let's begin with the centerpiece of this story with Mary. Mary is given an invitation, an invitation to bear Christ to the world. It's a non-standard event, which we can see through the, uh, which we can see because of the angel's word of caution to not be afraid, and through Mary's question of how this thing will happen. It's an invitation to bear a son, but it comes with it the expectation that her son shall, that she shall bear will not be her own, but a child she will give over to God. It's an invitation that we all like to think we would accept, and yet an invitation that if we were truly offered, we would be filled with trepidation. But the angel talks about a thing that's happening in Mary's family, a miracle, and how God was faithful in Mary's family's life, and how God will be faithful unto Mary and unto the child. So Mary says yes. Now in saying yes, Mary invites controversy and drama into her life. She is unmarried and is going to be found with child, which means that she is going to be sent away from Joseph. We'll talk about him in a minute. So she goes to Elizabeth's house and there receives greeting, hospitality, and I imagine so much more. For Elizabeth confirms to Mary that God is at work and that through Mary, or is at work in and through Mary, and that God will be faithful to Mary. And Mary responds. Uh, we stop right before Mary's response, but she responds with the Magnificat, the, the famous song of worship. Mary worships God for being faithful to her, for being faithful to the downtrodden, to the hurt. She worship, worships God for being who God is. Speaking of Elizabeth, she has a crucial role in this story. An unwed, teenage, pregnant relative of hers shows up at her doorstep. Elizabeth is a pastor's wife. So Mary, unwed, teenage, pregnant Mary, knocks on the door of the parsonage and asks if she can have a place to stay. And Elizabeth extends hospitality. She welcomes the person in need. And then something happens within her. The baby inside her leaps as if God himself is present. She becomes filled with the Holy Spirit, and she speaks words of blessing and praise and worship over Mary and the child she is carrying. Back to Joseph. We don't get a lot of Joseph's story in what we read today and Luke's telling of it, but we hear that he is engaged to Mary, and that she is found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit but you can excuse him for being a little skeptical over that detail. Matthew's Gospel fills in some of the details and says that he didn't want to make a public spectacle over dismissing her, so he aimed to do it quietly. Social norm and custom would not have allowed him to remain with her. It wouldn't have been an option he could imagine. So he attempts to do the best thing he can do, which is to quietly send her away. When an angel appears to him and says, this has happened by God and the Holy Spirit, so stay with Mary and raise the child. So Joseph focuses on the word that has come from what God is doing, and marries Mary and raises Jesus. There are two other groups of characters we often associate with the Christmas story, and uh, whom we, are, we often see accompanying our nativity scenes. The first are the shepherds. They were out in the fields, tending their flocks by night. And all of a sudden, a choir of angels appears all around them, and they're sore afraid, as Linus puts it. But they're told to go into the city to find their savior, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger. So they go into the city, find the baby, and they kneel down and worship Jesus. And they told people what had happened. The final group are the wise men, the magi, the three kings. Although just so we're clear, the Bible never says three kings, never says three magi, just says three gifts. So I'm a stickler for that. They see a star and they set out from the east following where it leads. They aren't Israelites. They aren't part of God's people. But they're drawn, in, drawn into the story. And they follow the star to Jerusalem and are guided from there to Bethlehem to the child. And they come and they worship. And then they saved the Holy Family from being killed by King Herod. So what are the common threads in this story? What allowed each of these characters or groups to go against the grain, to keep Jesus the focus and do the harder, more faithful thing? It's the same thing that will allow us to reject the consumerist advent whose savior is the perfect present and instead celebrate an advent focused on our need of and anticipation of Jesus. And that thing is worship. In The Advent Conspiracy, which is a book that is serving as an inspiration in these messages, the authors write, the characters of the Advent drama are each threads in a rich, textured tapestry of worship. It's a story that is still unfolding, a story that inspires prophetic poetry of, worship, of worshiping communities all over the world, a story about the radical solidarity of Jesus worshipers who commit themselves to standing with the least of these in the far corners of the world and in the midst of injustice. A story about passionate resistance from people who refuse to be enveloped by another empire's demands and instead live simply and faithfully for their king. A story about faithful worship at the feet of a glorified and yet humble king. As followers of Jesus, our options are clear. We can inhabit the story of a corrupt world and bow to a counterfeit king or we can enter the story of God and celebrate the world's one true Lord. Observing a new advent begins with worship. Worship is how we use ritual to make something a priority in our lives. It literally means giving worth to something and it reveals what we think is worth. The next few weeks are all about worth, are they not? Trying to match how much we care about a person to how much we are willing to spend on their gift or trying not to go overboard spending too much to show how much we value someone. I mean, there have been times when I feel like i found the perfect gift for somebody, but it doesn't cost very much money, so I have to get another thing to add to it so the, the monetary value is enough that it's about how much I decided was right to spend on that person. Or the opposite. I find the perfect gift, and, but I'm met with, that's too much to spend on, insert name here. Am I weird, or Has that happened to you? Or is it possible that I'm weird and this has happened to you? <laughs> this season though, we become hyper aware of, around issues of worth. But let that remind you of the one to whom we owe infinite worth. Let that remind you of Jesus and how this season ought to be a season of worshiping Him. The characters in the Advent and Christmas story were constantly worshiping God and Jesus Christ. Isn't that how we should get ready for Advent and Christmas? Celebrating a different Advent begins with honestly confessing the things that we worship that aren't Jesus. Because it's going to happen. We're going to get consumed. We're going to get our focus completely involved around things that aren't Jesus. We're human. Jesus will forgive us that. We're going to get caught up in the consumption, the consumerism, the gifts, and the gift giving. We're going to be stressed over all the things that we have to do and orient our lives towards things that are not our incoming Savior. Jesus will forgive us for being preoccupied with preparations for his birthday that don't concern him at all and in that there's no shame there's no shame here instead with confession comes freedom the freedom to choose a new thing the freedom to say let me this one time make a different choice the freedom to draw our attention back to the babe born in a manger and in drawing our attention back to a babe born in a manger we can be intentional over the choices we make with our time Our money and our presence. We can own the choices that we make, and we can choose to spend some of our time, some of our presence, and perhaps some of our money in worshiping and centering our thoughts and hearts on Jesus. A transformation has occurred in our community, in our shops, in our malls, in our streets, maybe in our souls. Our community will celebrate one type of Advent this season. What type of Advent do you want to celebrate?